um, that I got a phone call at about 20 past 12. I was thinking, what I'll do, because Hannah's been away for a few days, I'll make, some, I'll, yeah, I'll make something for when she comes back, so there'll be something nice to eat. Um, so I got a call at 20 past 12, and it's, my phone was ringing, because I got a call, and it said, Dad Proctor, that's my dad. Um, so I answered it, and he said, are you busy at the minute? Which is very unusual. Um, and we don't, we don't like communicate a great deal anyway, because that's how uh, I tend to work. Phone was saying, are you busy at the minute? I said, well, not drastically. Why? He said, well, it turns out Nigel, who's the guy that he works with sometimes, didn't fill the truck up with fuel when we got it from the place we were renting it from. And we're just on the M18, on the hard shoulder, with no fuel. Can you come and help us out? So I had to go to Morrison's, get a couple of tanks of the diesel stuff, put it in the van. Um, well, Dad put it in the van. He was terrified that a truck would like hit me as it came past. And as he was filling it up, a truck came past. It knocked him into the van. His glasses, his glasses came half off and his hat fell off. Um, but he still got the fuel in. And eventually it started and everyone was fine. So, um, yeah, there's a nice little story for you about today. Uh, yeah, Hannah's, uh, yeah, she can make do with her Turkish delights. So, um, pretty good all round. Anyway, Hebrews. We're into the book of Hebrews today, and um, I've not got a clicker, just to warn you, Jai. So, um, our title for today is Enter God's Rest. So that's what we're going to look at today. That's what this passage talks about. It talks about entering God's rest. Um, So yeah, so that's what we're going to look at. But first off, I thought we would have a quick think about rest. Just kind of what is it? What is it about? What is there about rest? What is it and why do we like it? Um, Well, ultimately, ultimately we do quite like rest. We talk about our days off. We like to plan our holidays. I know people who, from quite a young age, are looking forward to retirement for rest. I have a friend who, um, who I do archery with. He's, he was a teacher, and from, I don't know, however many days, and it wasn't like five or six days, it was hundreds of days, he was telling me, 100 more sleeps until I'm retired. So like 50, and every week I'd see him, he's like, three more sleeps till I'm retired. And he's just, he was just looking forward to it that much that, you know, he was earning and just earning, yearning, Mr. White, yearning for this rest that he was going to get when he's retired. And he's having a great time doing all sorts of climbing and skiing and whatever he wants to do. So he's really enjoying that. And in fairness, I'm quite looking forward to our holidays this year. Really looking forward to going off, having some time off and doing some, some nice things. Had a day off last week. Really enjoyed it, particularly in light of the weekend away. It was a real nice kind of have a, a few minutes to kind of try and relax and recover some of the energy that we'd lost there. We kind of work on plans for rest, don't we? We, we strive for it and we kind of aim to protect it. Um, and we sometimes work like more to get some rest. So we'll try and like get all that work out of the way so that we can get a bit of extra rest. There are also other types of rest. In music, you occasionally get a little rest, which is like a squiggle, which means stop for a second and then carry on. Uh, and sometimes people might say, just give me a rest because you GBH of the ears and all that. You know, it's ju- I just want a bit of peace and quiet. So we... We like rest and we try to get it where possible. I can imagine, depending on your family and your, your household, that phrase may be more or less popular. Well, rest is a good thing. So rest is a good thing because God does it. In verse 4 of this passage, it says, For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day 
in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his work. Okay, so when you read through the book of Hebrews, you think this guy has an inside-out knowledge of the Old Testament. You don't think this is a guy who's not ever read the Bible before. So why does he say somewhere he's, he's spoken about the seventh day in these terms? Does he not know that's, yeah, that's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2? Does he not know that that's where he says this? But when the guy was writing it, there weren't any chapter numbers or verse numbers, so that's why he says, you know, somewhere he said this. So the chapter numbers were added later along with the verse numbers. So that's why he says that. But God rested. On the seventh day, he created the world, and then he rested. So rest is a good thing. And we'll come on to that fairly soon. So this passage starts, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. This passage starts off with a therefore. And I've mentioned it a couple of times that whenever you come across a therefore, you should always ask, what is it there for? What is the therefore there for? So you know what he's going on to say, why he might be going on to say it. So in this passage, he says, therefore. So whatever comes before is quite important. Um, and this takes us back to the last couple of weeks that Ian's uh, been taking us through, through Hebrews chapter 3. So the last two weeks have been entitled, Fix Your Thoughts on Jesus and then Do Not Harden Your Hearts. So the writer's saying, fix your thoughts on Jesus, do not harden your hearts, enter God's rest. That's the kind of flow of where he's going. But there's quite a strong warning that he's given. It's not a kind of gentle stick-it-on-your-fridge warning or, or kind of verse that he's given. He's saying, look, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Do not harden your hearts. Because if you harden your hearts, you will not enter God's rest. So it's quite an important thing. He's trying to make sure that people know they've got their mind and their heart fixed on Jesus. If they've allowed God to soften their hearts, then they will be able to enter God's rest. And that is a good thing. And he's writing this to people who are kind of on the edge of giving up their faith. They're thinking, you know, I'm not really sure if it's for me, this, this whole Christianity lark. You know, there's the, the temple, you know, that's got lots of people that go to the temple. That's really good. We're only a little church in the middle of nowhere you know, we're, people are persecuting us people are saying that we're stupid for what we believe they're kind of thinking well maybe I should just, just give up, maybe I should just chuck in the towel and do something else, go back to my, my Jewish roots that I know all about and the writer says look fix your thoughts on Jesus don't harden your hearts because if you do those you will be able to enter God's rest and that's the only way you'll be able to do it and the reason he gives not to give up is because there's something better to be had. He says, look, you need to persevere. You need to carry on with Jesus. You need to, to keep this faith alive because God's rest is not a, it's not a holiday. It's not a, a, a day off and it's not retirement. But God's rest is something more special and more amazing than you will ever understand. And in fairness, I don't think, as Christians, that we will ever fully understand God's rest because it will be something that we experience into eternity. So I don't think we'll ever fully understand it because there's always going to be more of it to come. So he says, fix your thoughts on Jesus. Do not harden your hearts. And that leads us perfectly into this passage. 
uh, enter God's rest. And for people who he's writing to that are weary of the kind of constant battle as living as a Christian in a hostile environment where Judaism seems more victorious, where Christianity is tiresome almost, the writer says, for you, fix your thoughts on Jesus, his goodness. And if you have a soft heart, you, not just kind of some generic you, he says, individually, you, all of you and together, will enter God's good, perfect and amazing rest. So now, therefore, is not the time to be giving up. Now is the time to be taking it up a gear and stepping on with Jesus. So that's the first word of the passage done. Let's, uh, let's move on to the next slide, please, Jai. Excellent. So, it says, therefore, do those things. Fix your hearts and your thoughts on Jesus. Um, do not harden your hearts against God and enter God's rest. In, in the NIV that was read out to us, it says in the first verse, Therefore, since the promise of entering God's rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you found to have, fall, uh, found to have fallen short of it. Okay, so in, in the NIV it says, be careful. Um, but the word translates kind of more literally as fear. So in the ESV it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should you, any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. So there's, there's almost a bit of a difference, isn't there, between the word be careful and fear. Kind of you'd say, be careful with that, you might, you might damage it or you might break it, compared to, if you do that, I'm going to scare the pants off you, and you know, you'd be afraid then. So there's kind of a difference between being careful and being afraid of something. And um, yeah, the word translates literally, uh, or more literally as fear rather than be careful and that is because the writer of Hebrews he doesn't want to say to them you know, you know just, just be a bit, a bit cautious you know, just you know, think about this a little bit he's trying to say this is something that is worth fearing because this is something this is something that is that important that your eternity rests on it he's saying there's something to be fearful of because if you are not careful, if you don't get it right, you will not enter God's rest. So it's quite a risk. He's saying there's two options. You will either will enter God's rest or you won't enter God's rest. And you want to be really afraid of not. So it doesn't seem like a very encouraging passage, almost. But I think you can kind of hold it in, in two ways. For the Christian, there's a great comfort in this passage that says, if you're a Christian, if you have fixed your thoughts on Jesus, you've not hardened your heart towards God and you've asked him to forgive you for your sin and, and take you to be with him for eternity, then you know that you will enter God's rest. There is no doubt. That's what the writer says. There is no doubt, if you're a Christian, that you will be lost by God. However, he says... If you're not a Christian, there is an eternity that is worth being terrified of. So that's kind of where he goes with this introduction. He says, there is God's rest, and that's there for Christians, who, people who love and trust and follow Jesus. And there is something to be afraid of, and that is not entering God's rest. He says, if you're going to fear something, 
fear not entering God's rest. There are other things in life that people are scared of. We're scared of spiders. We're scared of mice as they run across the room. That kind of thing. That's my impression of somebody scared of a mouse. Um, Heights. People are scared of heights. I find as I've like, I'm kind of seem to be getting more and more scared of heights. I don't know quite how that happens, so I'll stay away from the edge. Um, Well, some people are even scared of beards. It's a fear called pagonophobia. So um, they probably wouldn't like it here that much. But people are scared of all sorts of different things. But the writer of Hebrews says, look, there's only one thing that is worth being afraid of. And that is the fear of not entering God's rest. Ultimately, God's rest is an eternity of rest. But not in a kind of lazing about sitting on a cloud, Philadelphia, Ribita, harps and trumpets and whatever it is, wings and naked children with wings. It's not, that's not the kind of rest of God's eternity. God's rest is an eternity of love and life and joy and peace. And the fear here is of not making that. It's a fear of having an eternity without joy, without love, without peace with God so he's saying that there's one eternity where everything between you and God is good and right and perfect if you're a Christian you will be God's people in God's land under God's rule and that is where God's people ought to be but if you don't you will end up in a place where you're under God's wrath in isolation and the Bible calls it hell. It talks about hell in all sorts of picture language in the Bible. It talks of kind of fiery places and torture and that kind of idea. Um, and some people say that's just picture language. But even if it is just picture language, it's picture language for something not very nice. So the idea of hell is, is an absence of God's love and his grace. And there's no rest with God. And his wrath is being poured out for eternity. And that is what the writer says you should be afraid of. You just do not want to end up there. He says, you want to be in God's rest where it's good and it's perfect, but you do not want to end up outside of God's rest. So what is God's rest? Very good. Well, the writer, through this passage, um, he gives us a kind of three-point timeline of God's rest. So, the first one is the creation one. He says, I'll pick it up so I can read it slightly better. Uh, for some way he's spoken of the seventh day in these words and on the seventh day God rested from his work so on the seventh day in creation God rests Okay, so that's the, that's the first point of the timeline so there's creation there's rest in creation for God because he'd done everything that he needed to do he'd made the plants he'd made people rivers trees all those sorts of things God had done that and he had finished his work so he sat down and rested so that's the first point on there the three point timeline so God's at that point in creation there's God there's his creation and in that you have Adam and Eve the first man and woman and between Adam and Eve and God there is love peace Rest. It's just a perfect relationship there where everything is good. 
So Adam and Eve are God's people. They're in God's place. They're in God's land in Eden where he put them. And outside of Eden there's kind of, um, yeah, it's not the same. It's a, a kind of chaotic, evil place. And they're under God's rule. They do what God asked them to do. Okay, so at that point, I think anybody would want to rest. If you, if you could, if you created the world, which is quite large, the universe, the stars and everything, you had a perfect relationship with the people who you'd made and everything was good and they were doing what you asked, that is the perfect point to sit down and have a rest. So that's the first point on the, the timeline. There's creation. God rests in creation. The second bit is from verse 8 he says for if Joshua had given them rest God would not have spoken later about another day but God promises his people rest throughout Bible history and in the Old Testament Joshua has taken his people Joshua takes God's people to the promised land a place where God promised his people that he would provide for them so this promised land is kind of becomes God's land that's where he's taking his people to be so the hope is that they would be God's people under God's rule in God's land. I don't know if you know the story of them going in to kind of find the promised land. They, um, they get to the edge of it and, and they send in 12 spies to go and look at it. And out of the 12 spies, they all come back. And two of those guys are Joshua and Caleb. And every, they kind of get a report back. It's in um, Numbers 13. And he says... There's kind of ten other ones go, we've been into the promised land. The milk and the honey that flows in there is amazing. Okay. And it, and it says that, the, the guy then says, and here's the fruit. You kind of get the idea that he brings back like an enormous bunch of grapes or a colossal banana. And he says, and this is the fruit. It's an amazing place. It, you know, if we live there, that would be wonderful. The problem is, the people that currently live there are massive. Okay, they're giants. They're, they've got descendants of this chap called Anak, who is big, and they're really big, and they're really scary. There is no way that we can possibly take that land. There's Joshua and Caleb, who say that God has given us it. Let's go and let's take the land, because God has promised it to us. And ultimately, Joshua and Caleb make it, and the rest of them don't. They were the people who had their faith in the right place. They had. They knew that what God had promised would come true. And they knew that their land would be theirs. And Joshua kind of leads the people in the end after Moses. But the others were afraid of what they saw. They were terrified of the kind of uh, things that stood in their way. These people who were smaller than God, but they were kind of bigger than what they believed God could deal with. So that's the second point. So we've had creation. Then Joshua entering the promised land. And the, the third point on the timeline is just before that in verse 7 it says therefore God set a certain day calling it today when a long time later he spoke through David as, it, uh, as was said before today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts and that when you go to Psalm 95 and you look at it David writes a psalm about what happened in the wilderness to the people that Moses was leading with Joshua and Caleb there when the people were called not to harden their hearts and to listen to God but the majority hardened their hearts and didn't so it's, it's another point there of, he says, you know, there's rest in creation, there's rest, well, there was rest promised for, for Joshua and his people if they entered the promised land. Uh, and David says, you know, looking back, there was rest offered, and there's rest offered today 
So David says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as they did in the wilderness. So David is saying, at his time, which is you know, hundreds of years after Joshua, today, to the people that he was with, there is a promise of God's rest. So that's the kind of three kind of bits of this timeline. So you get creation, where there's God's rest and it's perfect. You get Joshua, where there's God's rest, um, but it's not perfect because they're terrified of what God is offering them. And then David says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You can enter God's rest. So ultimately, God's rest is an ever kind of, it's it's an ever-present reality for God's people, even when the times around them and the things that are going on are quite difficult. So for Joshua and his people, when they went to take the land, even though it was full of enemies, they were entering into what God had promised them. They were entering into God's rest, which was going to lead them into a fight to take the land that God had promised. But the thing is, that's not where the timeline ends. Like last week when Ian did the, the kind of same, same idea of the timeline, it comes to the people he's writing to and to us as well. Because he says... there in verse 3 now we who have believed enter that rest so the writer of the Hebrews says there's rest in creation, there's rest for Joshua, there's rest for David and actually for the people he's writing to there is rest for you in a time of trouble, in a time of persecution in a time of difficulty he says there is God's rest available for you and I think we can pull that straight through to today the writer says to us today whatever the situation is God's rest is available for you and for me so what actually kind of is God's rest if it's not laden about not having to do anything if it's, you know, if it's not this kind of floating heavenly idea of sitting on a cloud what is God's rest well part of it is that ultimately for Christians, we will one day know the reality of being God's people under God's rule in God's land. Because one day, the whole earth will be restored, it will be redeemed, and it will be brought back under God's rule. And we will be the children of God with a perfect relationship with God in his land, doing what he wants us to do. And that will be a life, an eternity of rest but that's just kind of future promise the kind of future promise of the new creation the future promise of heaven but there is a current and present rest for us today as Christians as a present kind of reality of God's rest for us in Jesus because so, um, he goes on to say I'm trying to find out where it, there it is for if Joshua had given them rest from verse 8 God would not have spoken about a later Uh, later about another day there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from his own work just as God did from his therefore let us make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will fall by following their example of disobedience Okay, so he says that there is a rest available for Christians today there is a Sabbath rest available for Christians today and by that I don't think he means there is the option for you to have kind of one day off a week there's not just kind of one day Sabbath available for you as Christians 
He says, as Christian people, you can know God's rest because Jesus is that rest, basically. He says, Jesus went to the cross. Jesus, on the cross, he took the wrath of God that was, was going to be poured out on humans for their sin. And in return, God makes peace with people who put their faith and trust in Jesus. God is no longer angry at the people who have had their sins forgiven. Because of Jesus, we can now rest with God. Because we have a perfect relationship restored. Because when Jesus goes to the cross and takes the sin of the world and he dies, he's raised back to life by God as a kind of confirmation that our sins are dealt with. And then Jesus ascends into the presence of his Father and he stands before the Father representing God's people, representing you and me. Because if we're Christians, we're joined, we're united to Jesus in his death and in his resurrection and in his ascension. So we're brought, because Jesus is there, before the Father. So we're God's people, in God's place, in God's presence, under God's rule, which is the, the truth of the situation that we're in now. If we're Christians... We're united with Jesus before God. We're brought into God's presence. We don't have to do anything special to get there. God has brought us there by Jesus. And because of that, we can know God's peace, God's love, and the rest that that brings. We can know that because our sins are forgiven. We can know that because Jesus has dealt with it all. There is nothing that, that God could hold against us if we've, we've bowed the knee to Jesus, if we've... Um, ask Jesus to forgive us for all of our sins there is nothing that can leave us with unrest with God there is no point, part or point in our life that God can look at and go but you did that on Tuesday I'm not happy with that you should be nervous about that you should be worried about that for however long you know, when, when somebody becomes a Christian their sins are forgiven there's no point in the rest of their life where they can think actually I've done this horrible horrible thing you know, if God only knew that all, if God could only forgive that, then, I, then I'd be alright. We can't hold on to the things that, that cause us unrest and cause us difficulty. Because actually, when Jesus went to the cross, he did it for all of those things. He did it for all of those sins, to clear them and to destroy them forever. So the fact that, that Jesus went to the cross, he rose again and he ascended into heaven, means that all of our sins are dealt with. That our rest is made perfect with God our sins are forgiven we can know God and we can be God's people under his rule in his land it's not perfect yet but one day it will be part of the difficulty for us as Christians is believing it for these guys who are going through the mill you know, is that the right phrase? yes, great these guys who are going through the mill probably don't feel at peace they probably don't feel like they've got God's peace resting in their hearts. They probably don't feel really like they want to get up in the morning because they know that when they like, leave the house, somebody may mock them for what they believe. But God says, my people have a life of peace and of rest. Whether it feels like it or not at the time, that is the true reality that is going on. If you're, God says, if you're mine... You are at peace with me and you have a perfect rest which awaits you. Even if you don't feel like it in the present, that is the truth. 
So the question really that this passage leaves us with is will you enter God's rest? He starts out by saying therefore um, since the promise of entering God's rest still stands and for us that's the same. The guy says and we can say that today therefore since the promise of entering God's rest still stands so for us we have the promise that God's rest is still available for us he says let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it he says the promise of God's rest still stands therefore you can live as a Christian not because you're fearful of what God might say or might do but you can live your life as a Christian because if you do if you live out a godly life you will know that you are entering God's rest that you live in God's rest and that you will be there into eternity he's not kind of trying to kind of browbeat them and saying if you're not you know if you're not good enough you'll not enter God's rest but he's saying if you are a Christian live like it and enter God's rest now and in the future but the question still remains will we enter God's rest if we're Christians God says you are part of my rest you are found in Jesus you are you're definitely going to be with me for eternity but the only way that we know that is if we live out a Christian life of obedience and faith with Jesus and the other side of it is we may not be Christians we may not have ever kind of known our need for a saviour known our need for our sins forgiven and the writer of Hebrews says look there is a promise of being able to enter God's rest still and it's open for you if you don't know that you really should take it because it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of an angry God there's a, a really old sermon by a guy called Jonathan Edwards who wasn't a triple jumper and it was sinners in the hands of an angry God and it's this idea that that's somewhere you don't want to end up you want to end up in Jesus not as sinners in God's hands because he's angry at sin so that's the question that we're left with will we enter God's rest or won't we if we know Jesus and love Jesus and live our lives out as Christians we've entered into God's rest and it is a kind of present reality and an ultimate reward that we'll receive if we're not the promise still stands today it says today this promise is still available for you if you don't know Jesus today is the day to bow the knee to soften your heart and to fix your eyes and your thoughts and your mind on Jesus so I'll leave you with that question I'll pray and then then I'll leave in our last song Father we thank you for your word we thank you that um, you have provided us a place of rest Father and I thank you that that place of rest is really and truly in Jesus in your son Father I thank you for the cross and for the resurrection and the ascension that, that help us to understand um, the truth of that Father help us to believe that, that we are and that we will be your people under your rule in your land Father, I thank you that that promise is, is still available for us to enter your rest. Father, I pray that um, if there are people here that don't know that and don't know you, that by your spirit you'd work 
in their hearts and in their lives and in their minds to, to see their need for you. And Father, I thank you that your promises stand true and stand the test of time. And Father, no matter what we're, we're going through in our lives, if we're going through struggles or going through, through joys, Father, I pray that you'll help us to, um, to know and love you. Help us to live faithfully. Help us to live out your plans and, and your promises. Father, help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. Help us to, to not harden our hearts towards you. And Father, help us to take hold of the promise of entering into your rest. Amen.